Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Today we're talking about teachers and the work involved in being a teacher, a perennial topic when trying to make sense of contemporary issues in education. To do this, I sat down for a chat with Professor Nicole Mockler from the University of Sydney. Nicole was well known for her work around teacher education, professional identity and education policy, as well as her recent studies of media representation of teachers and a new project on how teachers manage time. Before working through these different developments, I started by asking Nicole to reflect on the key themes, issues and questions that she sets out to address when doing education research. So regardless of the specific topic, what does Nicole see as the core concerns driving her work? interested in the way that education policy and kind of discourses that emerge from policy and and um, media discourses impact teachers' work. So, you know, I kind of research at the at the top level, if you like, looking at policy itself, how it's constructed, and you know, the discursive positioning of teachers within that. But then also working with teachers on the ground around the kind of day to day of their practice, essentially, and trying to think about how those two things relate to each other. How do you bridge the chasm then between your academic interests and what teachers are actually interested in? Because often we're kind of accused of working in ivory towers and being disconnected from reality. Yeah, I mean, look, it's really interesting. I um, So I've just finished this big study on um, media discourses of, of or representations of teachers in the print media. And I knew that researchers would be interested in the methodology that I'd use because it was quite new in educational research. Um, I absolutely did not expect teachers to be interested in it. And when it first started to get out there and I found that actually teachers want, teachers were like, where do I get the book? And I was like, don't, no, don't read, the, <laughs> do not read the book. The book is embarrassingly expensive and um, and you don't need to read the whole book. But, I, you know, it made me really quickly work out that I needed to translate this work in, in mm. a way that would speak to teachers and so that they could actually have a way into it. And so, you know, here I am doing, done a few podcasts and op-eds and things, just trying to get it out there. So I think it's about taking that research that you might do, you know, well beyond the realm of teacher's practice and thinking about, well, what are the points of relevance? And then how do I actually create texts out of that that are going to, that teachers are going to be able to access? And that's, you know, not suggesting that teachers are stupid and can't read academic research most of them can. It's just that they haven't got time to do that. You know, like a 2,000-word a piece that says, hey, this is what I did, this is what I found, this is why it's relevant to you, is going to get a lot more traction with the teaching profession than, you know, yeah, here is my 80,000-word book. For $2,000. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's take a deep dive into that project that you were talking about, representations of education in the print media. Yep. So, I mean, the popular view is, I guess, that teachings are largely seen in negative terms. You know, it's not a job that many people want to do. Teachers are seen to be doing a bad job teaching is a bad job what did you said you looked at squillions of media and what did you actually do and what did you actually find okay so I collected every newspaper article from the 12 national and capital city daily newspapers in um, Australia from 1996 to 2020 so beginning of 96 end of 2020 that used the word teacher or teachers some combination of those three times or more so they were articles that were you know it was not just a passing mention of you know here's this Olympic swimmer, his mum was a teacher, articles that, that were 
substantially about teachers, although not exclusively about teachers. So there's a really good collection of articles in there around a whole lot of different kind of education policy moves over the last 25 years. And I used, so I ended up with 65,000 articles, um, which is about 42 million words. And I used corpus linguistic methods to kind of not to do all of the analysis of the data because you need to take the deep dive into the text, but to kind of direct my attention. And so you look at words that are used, you know, far more frequently in a statistically significant sense in one set of texts as opposed to another. And um, in corpus linguistic terms, they're called keywords. And so you kind of then follow the keywords as a way of directing your attention into the text to look at. So, you know, you don't take the 65,000, lay them all out and then start reading through all of them in their entirety. You, you get your attention directed in different ways. And then from there, you know, looking at the words that are frequently used around the word teacher and teachers. And, you know, so this directed my attention to the word quality, for example, which is one of the most frequent lexical words in the corpus. And um, I think it's in about the top 1.5% of words by count. And when you think about, you know, the words that are, the words in the top 1.5% are mostly um, grammatical words. So, you know, the mm. are, I, you. So it's it's quite a special word. Um, and I one of the things that I did was trace the kind of discourse of teacher quality over that 25-year period and, and found that, you know, there was a real rise in the way that we started to talk about teacher quality in the mid-2000s. Um, and I posit that part of that was about the um, Commonwealth Government's Quality Teacher Program, which was that big um, professional development program that they funded in the mid-2000s. But then it kind of went up and up and up through the education revolution years and, and came to, I think, the top of the spike was in 2013, which was around the time that the Australian Education Act was passed. So you can kind of look at discourses like that one and actually see the way that the different policy framings have shaped the media coverage. And one of the things that I did with that was to look at, at um, the discourse of teacher quality and of teaching quality as well and to see, okay, well, you know, it's a different thing to talk about teaching quality to teacher quality. Teaching quality is about practice. Teacher quality is about people. And so asking questions about, well, what does that do to a teaching profession if the message that they're hearing all the time is that we have poor teacher quality in this country and we need to do something about it? So I guess the question of what to do with all of that, as you say, is, is the kind of the, the, the next things that we need to be thinking of. So what What impact does this have on teachers, on public, on parents, on students? I mean, where do you see this kind of these findings going? Where do we need to be going next? I think there's a few things. And I think... Um, I've had some conversations with journalists since the book came out and just started to open the doors on those conversations about, you know, the way that they position teachers in their writing. And, you know, I'm really conscious that when I've written a book that is partly about how the kind of media discourses don't adequately take into account teachers and teachers' work and kind of, you know, well, journalists are not teachers, you know, that on the other hand, I don't want this to be, you know, an educational researcher then slagging off at journalists mm. because clearly I don't understand their work in the way that they do. But I think, you know, opening the doors on those conversations and recognising also that, you know, a lot of those discourses are picked up in the media because they're spun in a particular way um, at the kind of policy level. And so, you know, you can see the kind of resonance of the, the framing that comes from those policy documents and from things like press releases and speeches that then ends up in the media 
Um, and it just kind of, you know, then builds and, you know, have these kind of accreted ideas that just grow and grow. And presumably these these media discourses then get kind of fed back into policy. Indeed. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole kind of um, spiral going on there where you've got, yeah, they come from policy, they go to the media, they come back to policy, you know. So it becomes a, it, it, it almost becomes a thing where the policymakers, because, you know, they're very tuned into the media, so they're reading particular versions of their own stuff and then feeding that back into the next iteration of the policy. So how do you shift the dial? Presumably this is incredible. This is a cultural shift, isn't it? Look, I think we need to get better as an education sector, I guess. I do think that we need to get better at advocating for teachers. And I think I've been talking with lots of um, professional associations over the last six months or so because they too were very interested in the findings of the book and talking to them about developing collective capacity to actually speak back to it and to get better at actually speaking into the public space because, you know, it's one thing to take a whole lot of research like this and to go, oh, well, that confirms what we know. But, you know, I, I kind of feel like, well, okay, so the first step was actually to say that it was not a hunch, that, you know, this is this is actually real and there is evidence for this. The next step is, okay, well, what do we do about it? And I do think that there's great power in the collective, but I think that we need to kind of get better at organising, essentially. Yeah. I think a lot of that needs to happen via professional associations, via unions. I think it needs researchers and academics to be, you know, on board with teachers in doing that kind of work. Which segues really neatly onto the second thing I wanted to talk to you about, your research with teaching unions and kind of... So you're doing a really interesting project with partnership with the Queensland Teachers Union, looking at time use, time poverty teachers' work. What was the impetus for this particular project? What was the pro- problem that you and the union initially perceived? We know that teachers do a lot of work. Um, we know that teachers make a lot of decisions. We know that teachers' work has become intensified. What we really wanted to do with this project was to kind of get beyond the the sort of survey research that had people self-reporting, you know, sometime later to develop an instrument that would actually allow us to capture data almost in real time. And to, to try and, and kind of unknot the problem of time poverty, as we're calling it, which is the way that we're conceptualising it is um, workload plus intensification. So things that happen when you put those two things together. So we did the first pilot last year, which was just with a really small group of teachers and we had a prototype app that we were getting them to use. And we are right now in the middle of recruiting um, with a broader group for our second pilot. So the second pilot will include about 200 teachers the app is set up in such a way that the teachers basically say, I'll, you know, over a two-week period, I'll do Wednesday next week, Monday and Tuesday the following week, and then it generates a half, a randomly generated half-hour period. And, you know, they do a before-school survey. After the 30-minute period, they do a quick survey, and then they do an after-school survey. So one of the things that we're really interested in picking up is the, the number and nature of decisions that teachers make over a period of time. You know, there was some research done in the 1990s that said that it was something like 1,400 decisions a day. Our sense is that probably that is larger now. You know, everything has kind of, you know, social acceleration has meant that everything has sped up in that time. So we're really interested in um, teacher decision-making, how much of it and what type. And in in our first pilot, 
one of the things that we found there was that the teachers really, the decision points that the researchers observed within the lesson and the teachers' estimates of the decisions that they'd made, there was a massive difference between them. The mm -hmm. teachers, you know, were kind of, oh, I think I made seven decisions in that lesson. The researchers were like, well, <laughs> like we observed 45. So, you know, the idea is that we do the second pilot, that we'll be doing some case studies, that we'll be scaling it up and we're, you know, take over Queensland. That's what we really want. Indeed. <laughs> and then the world. <laughs> but just at the moment, there's lots of stuff to drill down there. One of the things that immediately springs to mind, what's the problem with teachers making a lot of decisions? We often hear discourses about teachers not having enough autonomy, teachers not being allowed to make decisions. So making 45 decisions in a class, surely that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, we're certainly not, we're not down on the idea of teachers making decisions, but what we're trying to kind of get to is the, the issue of work intensification and what that looks like for teachers. And, you know, it's not about the number of decisions necessarily, but about the nature of those decisions that they're needing to make. That, you know, when you multiply that half hour period of time um, by all of the half hour periods of time in the week and in the year, adds to the intensification of teachers' work. What about the extension of teachers' work into outside school times, into evenings and, and weekends? Surely, I mean, that's another another issue that needs to be looked at. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're getting we're getting to that through our um, our after school survey. One of the things that we're asking teachers is, you know, how much work have you got to do to prepare for tomorrow or for Monday if it's Friday? Um, so we're trying to get to we're trying to get to the work that happens both within school and then the work that happens outside of, of school hours as well. And so, I mean, to kind of repeat a question from the first project, I mean, where do you see this going? What sort of recommender? How are you going to kind of change the discourse, change the work culture? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, you know, one of the great things is doing this kind of work in partnership with a teacher's union. And although we're, you know, two years in, we're also still just kind of, I would say, right at the beginning of scaling it up to the point where we're going to be able to make some some judgments. But I think it will be about working with the union and feeding this evidence that we have. You know, I think the, I think the thing is that we have a lot of talk about teacher workload, but uh, I think what we're, what we're really trying to do is generate this data almost in real time to provide the kind of evidence that says that this is really what is going on in schools right now. So I think the job then will be over to us to then, you know, work with the union to think about, well, what, you know, what does that mean given that we've now got this data? What does it mean in terms of the way that we might go about, you know, hopefully trying to restructure teachers' work in some way? You know, which is not going to be a quick fix to the teacher shortage, but long term might help to create some of the structural change that we really need. So, I mean, if I was to characterise your work, it's about, as you say, making structural changes, but also kind of making teaching a better profession, a better job. I would like to think so, yeah. So, I mean, just to finish off then, I'm really interested about your future thoughts about making the future of teaching slightly better. I mean, and what hope there is for maybe revitalising teaching mm -hmm. as a profession. I mean, first, if we think about the people who are already teaching, they're already in... in we often think about a retention crisis, for example, 60% of teachers are thinking about quitting. I mean, how do you see that panning out over the next few years and how could we possibly kind of change that? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, um, uh, like, I really fear for how that's going to pan out over the next few years. And I think, you know, certainly not, not everything about that has been impacted by the pandemic, but it really hasn't helped in that I think for a lot of people it's been a, a kind of marker in time where they've taken stock of what they do, of their work practices, and, you know, we're seeing that many teachers are feeling like, I just can't keep going. I can't, you know, having lived through that, I can't go back to the way that it was before. So I, I really feel quite worried about that. And I think that we need to, I think that we need to think about what the kinds of solutions to those problems might be that go beyond the kind of thought bubbles that 
proliferate around. You know, we um, in New South Wales a few weeks ago, we, we had a week where there were four different solutions in inverted commas, um, you know, that kind of ranged from performance pay to, uh, you know, just crazy stuff that is is actually not, you know, like if, if we want to get inside and solve this problem of workload and work intensity, it is about the number of hours that teachers need to work. It is about the number of students that many teachers need to be responsible for. So I, I think, you know, we really need to look critically at yeah, how many how many kids are these teachers responsible for? How do we actually shift the structures? And, you know, of course, on a systemic level, that costs a lot of money. Can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just making, you know, class sizes a tiny bit smaller. So when you talk about the kind of structural reorganisation, that means that as a secondary teacher, I might go from seeing 220 kids per week down to a more manageable number well it's a it's a huge restructure and a huge structural issue um so that's not to say that i feel pessimistic about it but i uh, i feel like we really need um i think we really need governments and systems to put their money where their mouths are in relation to this um i don't think it's a problem that's going to be solved by tinkering around the edges and talking about performance pay or making communication lines clearer or any of the other things that seem to proliferate. And it comes back to your original point about the education profession and education community speaking out more forcibly about what it does, what its value is and what we want it to be in the future. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Neil. Perfect. Well, thanks ever so much, Nicole. We've ended on a bit of a down note, but it's really (laughs) important work. Thanks ever so much for taking the time. Thank you very much.